For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guide for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be empowered. Now, here are your Show Me The Money hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me The Money with Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade and as always, you know I'm just here to ask the questions for you, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, how you doing this fine Saturday morning? You know, Jeff, any day you're vertical is a great day. (laughs) That's what I say too. (laughs) Yeah, you got to count your blessings. I mean, even the small stuff like that, yeah, we are upright and we are ready to go. And another good thing, I know, Jake, you don't like the warm weather as much as a lot of people do. This being probably, oh, the middle of, we'll call it the middle of September, just to be optimistic. But I mean, fall's going to be here before you know it. Cool weather. It's a great time of the year, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like we may have... I hesitate to say this here. I don't know if you can hear me knocking. Yeah, knocking here, on I the think, wood. <laughs> uh, I, it seems like we might be through summer at this oh, point now. September right. has a little bit of yeah. a way of flexing its muscle one more time on the way out. But yeah. based on what I see on the forecast here, we might be in the clear. Yeah, you know, I think fall is probably my favorite time of the year because we will have those Indian summer days. They're not too hot, but, you know, that crispness in the morning, those fall evenings absolutely can't be beat. Of course, the leaves start to turn. I love the pumpkins and pumpkin spice, everything, coffee. Yeah. I mean, shoot, I went to the gas. They got pumpkin spice gasoline now. They're try- they're trying to. <laughs> I, tr- I think my favorite days of the year are those maybe late October, mid oh, to yeah. late October, when the leaves are just finishing changing and the weather gives us one cool burst day where it's maybe in the 40s or 50s a little bit earlier than it should be and those are my very favorite days where (laughs) where the you know but i'll take all the days between there and when it hits 20 degrees too you know um, (laughs) any of those are fine as well yeah well the only downside to fall that i do not like is i'm surrounded by so many trees and i gotta tell you boy it just the yard is covered with leaves and i'm out there trying to rake them i got a blower and i just get done and i come out the next morning and they're back again so anyway it is my favorite time of the year and of course the holidays will be here before you know it boy i tell you time flies when you're having fun speaking of fun we've got a great show lined up for our folks today we're going to kick it off with current events and i don't know if there's a lot of fun or excitement or entertainment that's in current events uh, jake because it seems that we just still are not having this recession yeah i think you know one of the things we were talking about jeff before we started the show today was the money supply so let's talk about the money supply for a minute i think that if you look at the money supply, what that actually is, is basically the total dollars, not just physical dollars in circulation, but the total dollars, digital and just in general, how many dollars there are out there. If you overlay that with the S&P 500, you'll find that they're very highly correlated, meaning anytime the money supply goes up, the S&P 500 goes up as well. And on those rare occasions where it comes down, like it is right now, which if you look over the last 15 years, it really hasn't come down at all. You know, it's coming down now. If you look at when it comes down, the S&P also comes down. And so, you know, it's just one of those indicators that's that's a little interesting. And, you know, we're seeing some fairly significant money supply drawdown now. Yeah, and I read that the M2 money supply contraction or decline of 5.8% annualized through July is at recession depression levels. But still, when you look at the headlines and you hear the talking heads, they're saying the S&P 500 is up over 18%. NASDAQ's at 40% in 2023. The market is doing great. What's your reaction to the headlines versus what's really going on behind the scenes? So I think understanding how math works, right? If I have, let's say I have an investment that goes down 50%, right? So let's say there's $100,000 and it goes down 50%. Now you're at 50,000. Now let's say we go back up 50%. How much money do you have? You have 75,000, not 100,000. 
So understanding what in context what that actually means when the S&P is up 18 and it's still not back to even, and same for the NASDAQ, even though it's up 40, still not back to even. Again, most of that gain is concentrated in just a few names. And so that typically is not what you want to see, although the rally has broadened a little bit over the last three or four weeks. You know, you still have, you know, Apple up 45%. You got NVIDIA up a couple hundred percent. You got all these stocks that are kind of carrying these seven to 10 names that are just carrying the entire market right now. I do think that it's a little misleading when you see these numbers because the vast majority of stocks are not up very much this year. And I think when you just hear the headlines, especially the uh, the financial news headlines where they're always trying to hype up the market as much as possible, where they're like, it's up 20%. It's the biggest rally in the last 10 years. And you're like, yeah, but it, it's still down 30% or whatever the number is. So I think it's important to have context on those types of things. As far as recession, I think a lot of that has to do with interest rates. And let's talk about interest rates. I mean, they just keep going up and up and up. And Fed Chair Powell says that he's going to continue to raise interest rates until we do have a recession. Right now, we were talking off the air about home mortgage interest rates. You know, we thought they were high at six, six and a half, seven. Now, on average, 7.5 percent. Is there a possibility that they will continue to rise through the eights, even to the nine percent range if we don't have a recession? You know, I think Mr. Powell has not said that he wants to cause a recession. However, it's generally accepted by anybody paying attention that that's what's going to be necessary to get him to stop. You know, he has said several times that he thinks that he can have this soft landing. We've been at zero for forever and we raise interest rates and basically nothing bad happens. We just absorb it all. I have a little bit of an issue with that because if you look at what the goal of the Fed is, is to have maximum employment and price stability. The problem is, is they're serving two masters. You can't serve two masters at the same time. And one right now is the enemy of the other, meaning if we're going to correct inflation, we have to create unemployment, not maximum employment. They're not going to lower rates until they absolutely have to. And when will they absolutely have to? When the economy is in freefall. And I think that people need to be, as the Chinese say, be careful what you wish for, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're wishing for interest rates to come back down, you are wishing for a recession or worse. And I think that, again, we just need to be patient here. You know, I don't think it's time to jump out or jump in or anything like that. Let's stay disciplined. Let's let's have a plan for exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and understand how volatility is going to affect you in and nearing retirement. Or maybe if you're 40 years old, you don't need to worry about any of this, right? You just need to keep right. funding that 401k, keep stocking it away. And if you're 40, you know, you need to be hoping the market goes down so that you can just buy more shares, you know. But if you're 55, 60, 65 or older, you know, we need to be a little careful here, especially with an election on the way here. You know, you've got a lot of very unprecedented things where we have the White House weaponizing the Justice Department. We've got mm -hmm. Donald Trump's picture uh, mugshot as the uh, the most popular photo on the planet right now. And I think it's, it's really interesting to me that this administration has been allowed to, you know, try to stymie his political opponent simply by keeping me in jail and not allowing him to attend debates, trying to get this trial to where it won't allow him to participate the way he needs to and try to culminate it all like right before the actual general election. I mean, it's it's very clear that they are trying to illegally do away with Donald Trump. And again, regardless of what, how you feel about Donald Trump, if it was reversed, we should be outraged, mm -hmm. right? We should not be having a president trying to maintain his presidency by, you know, just trying to get rid of an almost Putin-esque fashion, his political opponents. Jake, these are unprecedented times. I can't think of a time in history when we have had these challenges and it is really a scary situation. But again, I believe in America. I believe that we will endure, but not without a little bit of pain. You know, we were talking about these interest rates going up and how it affects people who maybe need to get mortgages when they're seven and seven and a half percent. Those people who are trying to sell homes for one reason or another, it certainly has uh, put a kibosh, so to speak, in their plans in terms of being able to sell homes for people who uh, need 
to get mortgages, but let's talk about just borrowing money in general. I've often joked that the American way is to be in debt, but now I'm seeing credit card interest rates. I mean, they're raising those things up too. It's not uncommon 25 and 30% for interest rates. What's going to be the fallout of all of this if it keeps going the way that it is? Will the American consumer eventually say uncle or do they have a great pain tolerance and they'll just keep charging it up until there just is no more credit? Then what happens? You know, I've already been marveling at people's pain tolerance, Jeff, and I think a lot of it is they just really haven't felt it yet. And I think I'm a little afraid that by the time they feel it, it's going to be too late. However, I do think that everything will run its course. We got through 2008. It was not a fun scenario, but we had record credit card debt going into that area, you know, and we had a similar situation where we had a, a really pumped up housing market just before that, where people were using their house to pay off all their credit, you know, basically using their house as a piggy bank. We've had a lot of that recently, especially with record low interest rates until the last 18 months or so. So I do think that there's going to be a piper to pay, but I think we'll pay it. I think we'll get down the road and those who are paying attention will use this as an opportunity to go to the next level on the other side of the cycle. Well, when that piper is paid, Jake, and all this is said and done and people have endured this pain and gone through this, do you think that people will really have learned their lesson and, you know, straighten up and fly right? Or I don't know. I, I sometimes wonder about the Americans' ability to really learn their lesson because everything like this just seems to go in cycles. We come out of it, then we go back into it. What do you think? I think that people have a very short memory. Right. And the answer is, I think there'll be a few people that learn their lesson, but I think that 10 years from now or so, we'll probably be in the same boat again for maybe a slightly different set of circumstances, but people just get kind of lulled to sleep when times are easy. And it doesn't seem like you should be stocking your acorns because everything's fine. Right. And then by the time it's time to use the acorns, you don't have any stocked. And, you know, I, I guess that's kind of the analogy, but the answer is no, Jeff. I don't think people will learn their lesson, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think if people are paying attention, people that are listening to this show right now should pat themselves on the back because they care enough at least to listen to something like this, try to gain some insight, try to be prepared. And again, you know, I don't know what the next six months is going to look like, but I know there's significant headwinds. However, the market has been known to climb the wall of worry is one of the sayings on Wall Street, right? The market can sometimes defy the odds and, and go up, but it's important to remember that the economy and the stock market are two separate things, not one in the same. Well, there's a reason why we call this the last bastion of sanity here in Springfield, Missouri, because I think that people in this part of the country have a little more common sense than they do on the other coast and not to slam the other coast because we all have friends and relatives that come from that place. But again, as you said, people listening to this program probably are a little bit more sensible about things. Jake, before we continue, I want to take just a moment to remind our listeners how they can have a conversation with you to ask their questions about this volatile market. If you need answers and request your no-cost, no-obligation Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review, you can do it by calling 417-889-7233. It's 417-889-7233. Now, when you call, you'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line, more than likely the lovely Ashley in the office there, who'll gather some basic information from you, then sets you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create a path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, this consultation is not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed may help improve your quality of life in retirement that could last as long as 30 years. Once again, no cost, no obligation, and no judgment for this plan whatsoever. Once again, that number 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233, or request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, time for a break. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money after this here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about asset classes. What are they, and what should we do with them? And Jake, you know, you can generate higher returns by spreading investment dollars across asset classes, but I think a lot of people don't know what asset classes are, so let's start right with Asset Class 101. What exactly are asset classes? So an asset class is kind of a categorization, I guess, if you will, of different types of investments. So the basic asset classes that we'll be talking about here are equities, so that's like stocks, 
fixed income, so that'll be like CDs or bonds and that type of thing, real estate, commodities, and then some alternatives. And so when we're talking about asset classes, it's a classification of basically different groups of different types of investments. So we've got equities, fixed income, real estate, commodities, cash, and alternative investments. And I've heard that bonds is an asset class all into its own. And stocks are an asset class. I guess those would go into under the equities umbrella, right? Yeah, stocks would be under equities, bonds would be under fixed income. So, And when you hear the term asset allocation, sometimes you'll hear that on a commercial, right? All they're talking right. about is allocating across these different asset classes. So they're saying, hey, if you're about to retire, maybe you need a different asset allocation than somebody who's 40. And so when you hear asset allocation, that's what that's referring to. So Jake, let's talk about the first one, equities. Yeah, so equities, again, by and large, we're talking about stock here. And there's a lot of different types of stock, different categories of stock, different geographical areas of stock, right? So we have domestic stock, international stock. We have different sizes. When you hear the word market cap, mm -hmm. right, that means the total market capitalization. So what that means is the total number of shares times the price of the stock is the value of the company or its market cap. So you hear that term sometimes on the news and that kind of thing. So when we're talking about equities, we're talking about the ownership of a company. If you own one share of Apple stock, that means you own a very small portion of Apple. You're a part owner. So with that ownership comes voting rights, but also comes the idea behind owning stock is to get compensated either by the stock price going up and you gaining money that way or through a dividend, which is another way that you can be paid instead of the stock price going up. They pay you income out like you own part of the business. And so those are some of the benefits benefits of equities. When we're talking about equities, talking about stock, stock is very liquid for the most part, meaning you can trade most stocks on any given day, even intraday, uh, you know, any time of the day. You know, equities over history, on average, equities also have the highest return of any of the things that we're going to talk about here. Now, again, understand that's an average, meaning there's going to be stocks that way outperform and there's going to be stocks that underperform. But on average, as an asset class, this will be the highest returning asset class we're going to talk about today. Jake, you talked about caps there. We've heard the term small cap, mid cap and large cap. And I think you were alluding to that. Can you elaborate a little bit further and explain small, mid and large caps? Yeah. So when we're talking about the different sizes of companies, so mega cap would be the biggest, you know, so large cap typically includes mega cap, but there's about 20 to 50 stocks that would fit in the mega cap, you know, and a lot of those are going to be 50 billion or higher hundred billion dollar companies. So like Apple, for example, is almost $3 trillion, mm -hmm. which is, it's currently the largest, but when you get down into large cap, you know, large cap would be, you know, again, 50 to a hundred billion probably mid cap as you go down the range and then small cap. It's kind of funny because we think of small caps as these tiny little companies, but you know, even like a $5 billion valuation would qualify as a small cap in today's world because of all that money that we printed. We talked about that a little bit in the last segment, you know, so even though the money supply is coming down, a lot of that's because we printed so much money in the first place, but that has all worked its way into stock market valuations. And so because of that, small caps aren't what it used to be, right? A million dollars isn't what it used to be. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's sort of like uh, mid-income these days. You know, a million dollars, I could retire like a king. Not so much anymore. We're talking about asset classes with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We talked about equities, which does include stocks. Now, a lot of people are interested in the bond market. Those are not equities, though. Those are in the fixed income class, right? Yeah, so bonds, treasuries, meaning government bonds, as well as corporate bonds fit into the fixed income bracket. And so you could also put CDs here, right? So when we're talking about fixed income, it's things that pay, you know, a coupon, basically, where it's you set it up. Fixed income is generally a debt instrument as well. So with equities, you have part ownership of the company. With fixed income, with bonds and treasuries, you own the debt of the company or the government, depending on uh, which one you have. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but the bond market is actually larger than the stock market. So the stock market, I think, 
I haven't looked at it in the last few days here, but uh, I think it's around $40 trillion, the total U.S. stock market. The total U.S. bond market is $51 trillion, and globally it's about $122 trillion. So you're talking about a huge, huge, huge number. You know, um, while we're using the T word, <laughs> trillion, I like to uh, give this illustration. And so, you know, if you have a pile of $100 bills in front of you, if you have 100 $100 bills in a stack, it's just a small stack, it's $10,000. If you have 10 of those stacks, which you can just stack right in front of you, maybe 10 inches high or something like that, that would be $100,000. So it's not like in the movies, you know, where they hit the bank, they rip off the bank, you know, and they have like 50 duffel bags full of money to get to a million dollars. Right. A million dollars will fit in a backpack if it's in $100 bills and it's <laughs> stacked. A billion dollars is an eight-foot pallet of $100 bills. A trillion dollars is a skyscraper of $100 bills. <laughs> and so when we're talking about $122 trillion in the bond market, you're talking about a vast sea of money. Right. And I think I think it's underestimated how large a pile of money that really is. And a lot of people don't see the inner workings of the bond market, how big it is and how much mm -hmm. money there is there from trading standpoint, international trade standpoint. So fixed income is a very big part of you know investing in general. And again, it kind of covers bonds, corporate and government, as well as CDs that pay like an interest rate like that. So we talked about equities. We talked about fixed income. The next asset class is going to be real estate, Jake. Yeah, so I think it's important too. I just want to say that these are not, this is not an exhaustive list of asset classes, right? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of asset classes out there. I just tried to give some big, broad umbrellas as we're going through this. But yeah, so real estate is an asset class, and, and some of the subclasses under that would be commercial real estate or residential real estate, different types of data centers and things like that that are more specific would also be under there. But a lot of people, when they think of real estate, they think of their home, right? But commercial real estate market is also very, very large. The issue you kind of get into with real estate is like the first two parts we talked about. So equities, as well as bonds are relatively pretty liquid. You can get your money in and out of there versus when you get into real estate, this is the first one where, you know, you, you start to lose some liquidity and depending on what type of real estate, if you own land or whatever, some of it can be more illiquid than others. And so you basically have to sell what you have there to get your money out or borrow against it if you if you want to have some capital there. So with real estate, liquidity is probably one of the big concerns. Real estate has also had a very good return over the last 40, 50 years, as anybody who's owned a house in the last five years can attest to. Right. There's certainly nothing wrong with owning real estate, but it is a little bit illiquid and we want to make sure that people have enough liquid money on the side. We can't just put everything into real estate because you need to be able to live and have some liquidity, especially once we get close to retirement. Asset classes that you could invest in include equities, fixed income, real estate. The next one is going to be commodities. When I think of commodities, of course, I think of pork futures. I don't know why I think about that. But uh, really, commodities is a lot more than just that, isn't it? Yeah, I think when we're talking about people around here, probably the first commodity that comes to mind is cattle, right? right? So a lot of people around here run at least a few head of cattle if they have some land to do it on. You know, some people are running a couple hundred head of cattle, which, uh, you know, I don't envy those people with the no. price of uh, hay right now and that kind of thing. So around here, you know, cattle's a big one. But when we're talking about globally, you know, the two big ones are going to be precious metals, so gold and silver, as well as oil and natural gas. Those are going to be the really big inputs. And when you talk about oil and the price of oil, you know, that that is an input for almost every good that you buy or every service that you have. And so it can be a very big driver of inflation. When it comes to investing directly in commodities, again, a lot of people are going to think about investing in gold. Gold also, if especially if it's physical gold, you have some liquidity concerns there, kind of like you do in real estate, where you have to pay a pretty good sized commission to get in and out of gold. You know, you're never going to sell gold at spot price or buy it at spot price because whoever you're buying or selling it with has to make a profit, right? So if gold is $2,000 an ounce, it will likely cost you $2,200 an ounce to get it in your pocket. And then when you go sell it, you only get $1,800 an ounce. So that's quite a big swing there. That's 400 bucks. That's 20% of the total value that you've paid in commission there. Um, and you might do a little bit better than that if you're dealing with huge amounts of money. But if you're doing little amounts of money, you may also pay quite a bit more than that in commission. So I think if you own gold now, I'm not saying to go out and sell it, but gold is difficult to deal with in a retirement scenario because it does not produce income 
and you're constantly having to pay these commissions every time you want to sell some or buy some. So there's nothing wrong with gold. And I think having a little bit of gold or silver around for a, a doomsday type scenario might not be a horrible idea. So I'm certainly not saying go out and sell all your gold, but I think we want to be, again, careful with liquidity when we get close to retirement. Most people before retirement have never really had to worry about their money being liquid because they had no intention of touching their retirement savings. But once you get closer to retirement, that's a big consideration is, is can I get to the money? Can I get income off this money? And Jake, the last asset class I want to talk about in this segment of the program is alternative investments. What do they mean by that? Yeah, Jeff. So alternatives is a little bit of a catch-all for things that don't fit neatly into the stock market or commodities or real estate. But when we're talking about alternatives, we're talking generally about things that are not correlated directly to the stock or bond market. And so even certain segments of real estate like REITs, real estate investment trusts are generally considered alternatives to the stock and bond market. There's a lot of different types of investments out there. And, you know, you might have a mineral rights or you know, like oil leases, that kind of thing. There's so many different types of uh, things that you could get into out there. But again, the big thing that we want to focus on is, especially when it comes to alternatives, because alternatives can be a little less regulated. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in our last segment today. But we want to make sure that everything is above board when we get into some more obscure investments. Even though I wish Gary Gensler would do a better job at what he's doing over there in the SEC, at least stocks and bonds are regulated. There are rules involved there versus alternatives, depending on the alternative, can be a little bit like the Wild West. They can kind of say whatever they want and do whatever they want. And as long as nobody complains, they don't really get in trouble. And so, you know, understanding what types of securities need to be registered and all that kind of thing is a big deal. If you have questions specifically about this, you know, that's something we can talk about when you come in for your consultation. We can cross all those all those T's and dot those I's and just make sure you understand kind of what you're getting into. I would say the average layman, for lack of a better word, probably should should stick to more mainstream alternatives or maybe no alternatives at all, depending on you know your goals and that kind of thing. You just don't want to get in a situation where you're too illiquid or not really understanding the investments that you have. The asset classes we talked about in this segment include equities, fixed income, real estate, commodities, alternative investments, and I'll throw in cash and cash equivalents. Knowing how asset classes work certainly can help you construct a portfolio that aligns with your financial objectives. If you have questions about these asset classes. Once again, we invite you to call us and request your complimentary retirement review, a friendly conversation between you and Jake that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation. Again, to get your complimentary review, no cost, no obligation, and no judgment, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. When we come back, we're going to be talking about analyzing stocks. All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shane. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and one of the biggest questions I get asked by people that come in to see me is how do you choose what stocks to buy inside of an investment portfolio? So in this segment, we're going to talk about how to analyze a stock. That's a very good question, Jake, and I know that you do your investment decisions in-house there at Floyd Financial Group. And, you know, you take a look at these stocks and everybody's probably looking for the next big thing. I mean, there was 3D printing and, you know, people were all over that buying anything that was associated with 3D printing and artificial intelligence now is another thing. There's so many choices out there. We want to help the people to understand how to analyze and to put some sort of evaluation on a stock. So let's start with the fundamentals, the fundamental analysis, Jake. Yeah, I think some of the things you mentioned there, Jeff, are more trendy fad type things like what you were talking about with 3D printing happened big time with the metaverse. Pretty much anything linked to the metaverse imploded and mm -hmm. metaverse basically hasn't gone anywhere. So I think when we're talking about how to analyze a stock, we're going to set aside what industry it's in. And, th and that's certainly a consideration. 
but any stock in any industry needs to be analyzed and we're going to talk about how we do that so starting with fundamental analysis what fundamentally what do we look at with a stock and so one of the basic fundamentals we look at is financial statements right if you're going to go get a loan on your house what does the bank want to know about you they want to know about your financial stability they Mm -hmm. want to know how much you owe how much money you have how much income you're making things like that so when we're looking at a stock it's the same thing we want to look at how much revenue they have. We want to look at their profit margins. We want to look at their liquidity. We want to look at their debt to equity ratios, meaning do they have too much debt? So there's companies out there like Ford that would probably be a lot higher stock price wise if they weren't drowning in debt. Talking about inventory, how well do they manage their inventory as far as turnover? You know, you don't want to be having a company that, like last year, Target got caught with its pants down a little bit and had a whole bunch of inventory that it didn't need that it had to basically blow out on Amazon to get rid of it. Right. So all these kind of little things about a company, obviously revenue and profitability, those things are big. But even the little things can have big impact depending on what type of business it is, right? So some businesses don't have inventory if it's a service type business. But certainly a retail business, you want to understand their inventory, understand how they operate. And in today's world, we want to know about their shrinkage, right? So shrinkage is a term that talks about the loss of inventory or loss of their assets. So in a normal environment, a lot of shrinkage would be damaged goods. But in Mm -hmm. today's world, the vast majority of it is theft, right? You have all these companies that do business on the left coast and they're shutting their doors left and right because people are just walking in and stealing stuff stuff. So understanding how much shrinkage a company has, how exposed they are to some of these left wing type states and that kind of thing, because that's going to determine how much exposure they have for shrinkage. So certain companies that have a lot of businesses over there are more exposed than ones that have more Midwest oriented businesses. So when we're looking at fundamentals, the first thing we look at would be financial statements. Okay, so financial statements, profit and loss, that sort of thing. How important is management quality in this equation? You know, Jeff, it's important. However, I will say that it's difficult to know everything there is to know about a CEO, especially for somebody who doesn't have, who isn't Jim Cramer, right? Who can't interview any CEO he feels like interviewing at any time. But understanding who the CEO is and, you know, what companies he's been at before can definitely be something worth watching. If I see a CEO get hired at a new company when he just drove the last one to the ground, I'm going to be very skeptical. And if there's another one that just got sold and people made a bunch of money and now he's moving over to a new company. That's obviously a plus. And so understanding how a CEO views capital, meaning do they like to distribute capital back or do they like to reinvest all that capital and try to make the stock price go up or some combination thereof. So like Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple is probably the biggest stock buyback CEO in history, meaning the way he likes to return capital is to buy back shares of stock, which means there's less shares of stock available, which means each share is simply worth more. And that's why Apple has been very resilient from a stock price standpoint. When things start to get dicey, they just start buying back immense amounts of stock. I think the number right now this year is $90 billion a year is the pace that they're buying back right now. So understanding that about Tim Cook, if Tim Cook were to leave Apple and go somewhere else, which I doubt he would at the stage, but if he did, we would expect Tim Cook to continue to do things like that, right? So that's, from a CEO standpoint, that's how that works. So we want to look at financial statements. We want to look at earnings. We want to look at valuation. This is a this is okay. a pretty big one. So valuation talks about, you know, how much is the stock worth relative to how much it earns or relative to how much revenue it does? Also relative to how fast it's growing, right? Those types of valuations really tells you how cheap or how expensive a stock is. So if you hear somebody saying, hey, the stock market's expensive, it's usually because these companies are trading at very high valuations relative to how much money they're earning. And so that goes for the stock market as a whole, but it also goes for individual stocks. We talked about the fact that you know some companies pay dividends. We talked about managers. Understanding the business that they are in is also another component of fundamental analysis, meaning is this a business that's growing or dying, right? If you are in the business of making film for Kodak cameras, it's not necessarily a bad investment, but you need to understand that that is not a business that's going to be around long term and you need to, to invest accordingly. 
You also need to understand what kind of macroeconomic factors can come to bite you in different types of stocks. So like oil is a good example of that, right? Where if we have a recession, the price of oil will likely come down quite a lot. And so that's a macroeconomic factor that we have to consider when it comes to oil and gas companies. You know, just those types of things are what we're looking at when we're talking about fundamental analysis. And industry and competitive landscape, too. I mean, in home improvement, usually there's about two that survive that are really big. You know, Lowe's and Home Depot, there was orchard supply and any number of things, too. So you've got to consider the competitive landscape. So that is the fundamental analysis when analyzing a stock. Let's uh, switch over here quickly to the technical analysis. This is a method that's based on the study of uh, past market data, et cetera, et cetera. So technical analysis is my personal favorite, and I'm going to try not to drone on for two hours here. But um, so technical analysis takes into account where a stock is relative to where it's been and where it might be going. But it's kind of a snapshot of a moment in time based on price, based on the trends, based on moving averages, based on the volume of how much the stock is trading. There's certain types of analysis we can do and say, hey, here's what's likely to happen next based on these types of things. You know, so again, trends. So one of the other things I like to look at is momentum. So once a stock gets on a roll, it has a tendency to stay that way. And so there's something called relative strength index that I look at quite a lot on any position that I own. And it's it's basically a measure of how much momentum a stock has up or down over the last uh, typically 14 stock trading days. And again, we're getting way into the weeds here, but I, I love this stuff. So basically what happens is the RSI is measured on a scale of zero to 100. Anything below 30 means that the stock is oversold. So once a stock gets oversold, there's no limit to how long it can stay oversold, but usually there is a reversal in the works or a reversion to the mean, meaning if you have a stock that's really oversold, certainly if there's not a reason for it to be oversold, you know, that's something that you can use. And conversely, in fact, like a month ago, the market was really overbought. So the RSI on the broad S&P 500 hit like 76. So anything over 70 is overbought. And so I had a lot of people calling me because the market had been running for a couple of months straight. And they were like, hey, I, I want to put some money in this. I said, hold on, let's wait. Let's see what happens here because we don't want to buy into a market that's extremely overbought because it's likely that we'll have a little bit of a correction to let it kind of regather and then maybe it can go again. But momentum indicators are more a thing for traders or just for entry points, meaning uh, if you're constantly trading in and out of things, momentum can be a big deal. But when we're actually putting money to work or taking money off the table, we want to pay attention to where we're at momentum wise so that we don't get in just before a drop. Or if, if it looks like we might have a pop at some point, that might be a good time to put capital to work. So I apologize for all that, Jeff, because I told you I was going to geek <laughs> out okay. here and I did. Uh, I'm surfacing for air now and uh, we can move on to the next one. Well, it's good that you know these things, Jake, because I think, you know, the average consumer really is not going to get that much into the technical analysis. We did talk about the fundamental analysis there. And basically, the way I look at it is this, is this is great educational wise. You know, as a hobby, I like to look at these stocks and see where things are going. But really, you know, when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and, you know, picking these stocks is important to my retirement portfolio, I leave that to the pros. And I don't know, how do you feel about that, Jake? I mean, should an individual really pay attention to these stocks and try to pick them? Or should they maybe leave it to just you to pick them for them? Or is there a combination of both? You know, Jeff, I think that a lot of that's going to depend on your goals. You know, for the average person who's going to be living off their retirement income, having a professional to be able to analyze these things can be useful because it can also help to give you a better risk adjusted return. So what do I mean by that? It's one thing to return the returns of the S&P 500 with no concern for how much risk there is. Yes, you can make 10% in the stock market over a long period of time, but you have to be okay with 40 and 50% drawdowns. What we tend to like to do with retirement money is we want to be more careful about how much risk we're taking. We want to make good money and we want to be rewarded, but we want to get as much reward as we can for the amount of risk that we're taking. So one of the ratios I like to look at is called the Sharpe Ratio, and that basically measures the standard deviation relative to what your average return is. And so like on the S&P 500, that's usually about a 0.6 ratio, meaning I'm getting maybe 10% return, but the standard deviation is, you know, 16 or 17. 
So what I like to do is get as close to one as possible, meaning maybe I'm risking my standard deviation maybe a seven or eight, and I'm trying to return seven or eight. Again, this is very generic. I'm not saying this is any specific situation. I'm just giving an example that we want to make sure we're maximizing our return for the amount of risk that we're taking. And I want to wrap up this way, Jake. Remember, this conversation has been educational and informational to help you make some more informed decisions. But investing in the stock market, of course, always does carry risk. Always conduct thorough research or consult with a financial advisor before making investment decisions. And of course, Floyd Financial Group stands ready to be your financial advisor. If you'd like to ask questions about how to value stocks, call Floyd Financial Group and set up your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment retirement review by calling four. 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Once again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be the most important time decision that you will make investing in the time to sit down with Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. Once again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, let's take a break here. When we come back on our show today, we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of alternative investments and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be discussing what it looks like when people come in to sit down with us, what our five-step process is. And Jake, we talk all the time about coming in and seeing you for your initial consultation there at Floyd Financial Group. So let's talk about those five steps. The first one is going to be discovery, and that's just getting to know folks and allowing them to get to know you. What's involved with that? Yeah, so this is one place where we differ from quite a few financial advisors. When it comes to discovery, we do need to understand what you have saved for retirement, what your budget looks like, and those types of things. But we also focus a lot on what you want to do in retirement, because not everybody can just answer every question I ask them, meaning, you know, how much money do you need to live in retirement? How much fun money do you need to have? You know, those types of questions most people cannot answer. And so I need to do my due diligence and really understand who you are, what makes you tick, what you want to have happen with your stuff when you're no longer here, who your beneficiaries are, as well as all the normal stuff you would imagine, meaning I need to understand your date of birth, when you're planning to retire, if you're already retired, you know, but really I like to focus on your needs and your goals. I don't build any two plans exactly the same way. There's a lot of tools that we'll use that are similar for different individuals, but I really try to understand every couple or every individual in and of themselves and try to make a plan that works best for that couple or that individual instead of having kind of a blanket solution that encompasses everybody. I think the plan is better if I truly understand where people are coming from. And it's designing a plan that, as you said, is right for you. The discovery process involves putting together a lifestyle plan. We've got to find out who really you are. And one thing that you do not do, I would imagine, in this discovery process is bring up a product. Do you or not? No, we typically do not bring up any kind of product in the discovery meeting. The only exception to that is if somebody has a lot of questions about something that they have. I can answer whatever questions in that first meeting that you might have, but I don't know what's appropriate until I know who you are and what makes you tick. So that's what that first step is all about, is really getting to understand you and what's important to you. So that's the discovery process. The next one is going to be the analysis, analyzing what you have. How do you do that? Yeah, so once we have a good snapshot of not only your assets, your income, your budgetary needs, but as well as, again, what you like to do, what you plan on doing in retirement, understanding when you think you want to retire if you're not already retired. Once we have all that, I kind of go back to the drawing board and I say, okay, here's this Mr. and Mrs. client here. And, you know, what can I do to enhance their retirement? Meaning, how can I build this plan to where it works for their specific needs? You know, sometimes I have people that would like to spend more in that first 10 years of retirement, meaning while their health is a little bit better and while they're capable of doing the things that they've always wanted to do. Sometimes we'll skew income 
to the beginning of that. And knowing that we're going to have a little bit less later, a lot of people really like that idea because they want to be able to take advantage of that while they still can. So that's just one example of the things that I consider. You know, So I go through there and I say, hey, there's no such thing as a 100% chance of success, but I want to be as close as possible to that when we're making a plan. We want to make sure you don't have to ever go back to work. You only want to have to retire one time. And so when I'm looking at assets and trying to figure out what an appropriate withdrawal amount would be and kind of assessing, you know, whether you're ready to retire or maybe we need to wait a year or maybe you've been ready and basically it's costing you money to keep working. (laughs) Every once in a while I see that where somebody's got Mm -hmm. so much money saved that there's really no reason they don't need to retire. And they're like, I don't know if I can retire. And I'll be like, hey, I got good news. You can pull that trigger whenever you're ready, basically. And so understanding where everybody's at relative to that looking in on how much money they have saved and then looking at what an appropriate income amount is off there as well as factoring in social security, other pensions, just all the number crunching happens in that second phase that we call analysis. So the first two steps, of course, are going to be discovery, analysis, and then number three is the planning aspect. You have figured out what people have and now you're making this plan to ensure that they don't have to go back to work and certainly that their money's going to last as long as they do. Can you fill us in a little bit about what goes on in the planning process? Yeah, so after we've crunched all the numbers and I have a good understanding of where you're at, then I can go in and really kind of create the plan, create the recommendations, and then propose those recommendations to people. And during that second meeting, while we're looking at the recommendations, you'll be able to ask questions about uh, anything that we're talking about at that point. And during this phase, when we're talking about you know what recommendations we would have, we do quite a bit of explaining. I find that a lot of people have never really had their investments explained to them before. And a lot of people don't really understand what they own. And so it's important to me that you understand what our strategy would be when it comes to investing money and how we're going to protect a good portion of the money, but also how we're going to be able to capture the gain when things are good as well. And so we want to have a good return. We need to have an eye toward safety. We need to have an eye toward liquidity. But that's where all this kind of happens is during the planning process and during you know that second meeting when I kind of give you some recommendations about what I think would be appropriate. So, so far we're up to two meetings here that would involve discovery, analysis, and planning. You talked about going to the draw board, Jake. I mean, you actually do use a white board there to help people understand exactly what you're planning to do. Is that not correct? Yeah, sometimes by the time I'm done, it looks like the Einstein's theory of relativity. (laughs) Uh, I get a lot of people are like, oh, can I take a picture of that? I'm like, I don't know how you could discern what's on there at this point. But what I do find is that if I draw it one step at a time, Mm -hmm. people tend to be with me a lot more than if if I just hand you a sheet of paper that has a bunch of graphs and things on it. Right. If I go through one step at a time, most people are able to go right there with me. And And I see the light bulb go off in their heads when they're like, oh, so that's how that works. Oh, that's how I get income. Oh, that's how I can be sure that I'm not going to run out of money. Those types of things. And for me, that's that's one of the best parts about my job is really helping people understand what they have. And once they really understand what the strategy is, I think that helps them relax a little bit and understand how they're going to make it through retirement. And I think before that, a lot of people don't really understand how they're going to get their income. They don't understand how they're going to go from working to being retired, you know. So that's one of the places where I really enjoy my job. And that is one of the things I really like about Floyd Financial Group, too. It's not one of those uh, deals where I know, but you don't need to know. I mean, you're really educating and informing people and bringing people along with that journey so they understand what is going on with their financial plan. There's total transparency there. The next one, once we've done the discovery analysis, we've done the plan, is the implementation. What's involved with that? Yeah, so the fourth step is implementation. And basically, if you decide that you want to uh, implement the plan that we put in place or part of it, we would go through and say, okay, here's how we actually do this. So that involves us setting up accounts, potentially rolling over retirement plans, that type of thing. It's usually a very painless process. You know, it's something that you may have never done before, but it's something I do several times a week. And, you know, we set up all the accounts and we make sure we don't do anything that's going to cause a big bunch of taxes and all that kind of thing. 
and we move everything over and start to implement the plan that we agreed upon or part of the plan that you wanted to do. Again, that's not something I'm going to ask you to do at the end of the second meeting either. I think a lot of people come in and they think, wow, he's going to tell me here's what we should do and, you know, hand me the pen and have me do it. And that's definitely not how it goes. Um, In fact, I really don't like getting that acceptance on the second meeting. I usually like people to go home, think about it, pray about it if that's something you do, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just make sure that it's right. I don't want to bring on clients, just every single client, right? I want to bring on people that are a good fit for our process and and who we are, people that we see eye to eye with, and also people that we're going to enjoy each other's company over the next 20 or 30 years of retirement. You know, I don't want to have people that that maybe don't agree with me on a lot of issues, and that's okay. I just don't want to have clients that feel like they're kind of stuck with me. You know, right. so I don't I don't come into that very often. But sometimes, you know, we just we just don't see eye to eye on things, and that's okay. We can just be friends, you know. And I think because God has blessed us the way that He has, I don't really need to bring on new clients. It's just something that uh, if it makes sense, you know, we get referrals from people, a few people that listen to the radio show, and then if it makes sense, then we'll bring people on. But if it doesn't, we're just not trying to bring every single person on that we can possibly imagine. So again, it's a very low pressure, painless process. You know, I'm never going to be like, hey, you know, are we going to do this or what? You know, everybody has a different time that they need to amount of time to think about things and analyze things. You know, other people want to go get another second or third opinion. And I, I encourage that as well. So yeah, again, just realize that there's no judgment and there's no pressure of any kind. And the last step here in our five-step process is going to be the review process. How often are you going to review these things and keep in touch with a client, or how often should they keep in touch with you, Jake? Yeah, so that's going to vary a little bit by individual client or couple. I think that when it comes to review process, after we've got everything set up, usually what we want to do is set up 90-day reviews in the beginning just to make sure that you're comfortable. And usually after a year or a couple of years, people are like, you know, I don't know that I need to spend my entire retirement in your office every 90 days, you know, maybe we should go to six months or a year. I want to see everybody at least once a year because I just want to make sure that we're on top of everything, understanding people's changing risk tolerance and or other life events, beneficiaries, health wise, all those things. uh, It's best practice to talk at least once a year to make sure that we're all on the same page. We can talk as often as you want to talk. You know, I find that 90 days is usually adequate for most people. And each 90 days we get together and we say, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what we think about what's coming down the pike. Here's what we think about the election or whatever else might be coming on. Here's some decisions that we may need to make from time to time. And we can analyze all that thing. But a lot of times we just get together, catch up, drink some coffee. And that's usually what most reviews look like. Yeah, as Randy and uh, Grandma Maggard says, you know, we're just going to visit for a while. But I can tell you, when when you become a client of Floyd Financial Group, it's really almost like family. So if our listeners have questions about our conversation today, they want to find out more about this five-step process. Again, that there is no cost for it. There is no obligation. And certainly, and I think most importantly, there is no judgment. Randy and Jake will meet you where you are. Call 417-889-7233 to get started. It's 417-889-7233. You can also request your no-cost, no-obligation retirement review and plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, we're out of time for this week, unfortunately. So I want to say it has been a pleasure to talk to you today on the radio show. But most importantly, it has been a pleasure to talk to the fine people here with the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri. For Jake Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out. Have a blessed day. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.